honest, I think the first six to eight weeks, I was just so overwhelmed with joy and love and learning. And it was just all very exciting. And also I'm usually like a really positive person. And I kept hoping that things would just calm down. And, you know, within like a couple months, my parents would be here. And then I think when the boys were around maybe like 10 to 12 weeks, maybe yeah, around the three month mark, I think it became a lot more obvious to me that the situation wasn't calming down. It was like summer in the US, you know, it's like July, August, people are now not it's summer, we're going traveling, we're going out. Case numbers were growing. Australia borders were so strict. Around that time, they basically, you know, were like, we're not opening borders until July 2021, absolute earliest, where it kind of really, like, I really lost any hope. Hello, and welcome to Parenthood, conversations about life after kids. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every fortnight I will bring you discussions about the real and raw realities of parenting, life behind the Instagram filter. Join us as we laugh, cry, and bond over the organized chaos that is parenthood. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Pod. So today I've got my friends Nate and Nat on the podcast to talk about their experience of living in the States. Uh, Living in the States and finding out that they were pregnant with twins when the COVID pandemic hit and then giving birth to those twins and realizing that they would have no support um, because they couldn't even hire in support given how severe COVID was in the States at the time and the devastation of knowing that family couldn't travel from Australia to be there with them during such a precious time um, to support and to meet their newest little family members. This story has it all, you know, overwhelm, vulnerability, But I think what got me the most in listening to them retell their story is their amazing attitude towards it. This couple are truly survivors and it's amazing that despite all the odds and despite feeling completely overwhelmed and having to deal with the unexpected on a daily basis, they still managed to come out of this feeling really positive about the experience. There's a quote that Nate mentioned he had up on his wall and it said it's all about attitude. And that really resonated because I think it's a good reminder for us all that even when we're doing it tough, there are certainly glimpses and silver linings that we can be more aware of. So before we go to the conversation, I'll give you a quick parenthood moment. Actually, this one's probably moments, uh, to be honest. Um, Since we last recorded in Melbourne, we've actually been in lockdown, lockdown 5.0. You'd think we'd be getting used to these lockdowns by now, but they certainly don't get any easier. Having said that, we really shouldn't complain given the fact that, you know, we're able to send our children to childcare. I really feel for those parents who don't have that opportunity or whose kids are in school and they have to homeschool. I can't even imagine. For me, my parenthood moments really is about the fact that my little one, Charlie, has 
kind of found his voice. So Charlie, for everyone who doesn't know, is one years old. And I've also got a little one, Noah, who's two and a half. I feel like when Charlie was a baby, it was easy enough to kind of forget he was there. You know what babies are like, other than when they're hungry, they cry, but they're pretty low maintenance. And all the attention was on Noah with his tantrums and his fits and his attention seeking. But now Charlie's come out of his shell and wants attention too, has decided to start tantruming, is doing the whole archer back, hit your head against the floor, scream, throw your body on the floor, anything to get my attention. And between five and seven key witching hour times, I'm literally in hysteria. Like my house, there is always someone's crying. There's always someone who doesn't feel like they've got enough attention. I'm feeling completely stressed. I, I open a bottle of wine. I'm trying to sip on that while it gets knocked out of my hands while someone wants something from me. And it is just, it sucks the life out of me. I'm really hoping that I get over this phase sooner rather than later, but I'm not feeling overly confident about that given that they do call it the terrible twos and threes. So I might have a few more grey hairs coming in my future. Something to look forward to. All right, let's cut to the episode talking all things lockdown in San Francisco with Nate and Nash. Nate, Nat, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you on with us today. Thanks for having us, Leonie. So for everyone listening, Nat and I are old uni buddies. And so, well, I I was thinking about it just before Nat. I'm like, oh my God, it was literally like 16 years ago that we started uni or something like that. That makes me feel old. old? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, old uni buddies. Um, We both actually studied at USC. You like flew the torch on that one. And then I just copied you because I was like, wow, Nat seems like she's having an amazing time over in the States. I've got to do that. So I did the same thing. I did a semester at USC um, in the States. And then Nat, you've always had a thing around always wanting to go back to the US. You've got lots of friends there. You love to travel and all of that. So that was always in the back of your mind, wasn't it? Like after graduating uni? Yeah, 100%. I knew I always wanted to move overseas and yeah. Know, I kind of didn't want to do the the London thing. So for me, the yeah. kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, Nate, just curious, like did you get dragged kicking and screaming or were you actually flying the torch on you guys going to the States? Talk me through it. No, it was kind of both of, both of our decisions. Uh, like I think Nat, Nat said it, said it um, correctly, like neither of us wanted to kind of go do go to England and we wanted to do something at least a little bit different and we both both independently enjoyed our time in America before we met each other so we thought that'd be a great great place to go why not so Nat Nat told her weeping parents that she'd been going for no more than two years which I knew was all manner of lies and that we would definitely be gone for more than two years but I I thought I thought probably the maximum would be about four years, maybe maybe pushing five. Uh, I also thought that given at the time of our lives that we went, uh, I was 31, that was 30, that it was, if things went well, it was pretty likely that three or four of the most major life events that one has was going to happen while we, while we were there, which would be things like engagement, marriage, a child, and buying a house and all of those things happened. Whereas I did not think I'd be having children in the U S is that right? Yeah. 
Wow. So you just thought maybe, yeah, you literally did think at the time probably two years, head home, then have babies? I thought probably three, three, four years yeah. maybe, but I just always mm-hmm. pictured myself having kids in Melbourne with my family around. Like yeah, it was never yeah. going to be any other way. Did things change for you when you were over there and you started thinking we're going to start trying or what was the process like for you? I think like I wanted to start trying a lot earlier than Nathan did. Um, I wasn't ready to fall pregnant and I was convinced it was going to take me like a year plus to fall pregnant. You I, was, know? I was pretty sure it would just happen straight away. <laughs> Oh, really? I was very very confident about that. (laughs) You always used to tell me, like, don't worry, as soon as we try, like, you'll fall pregnant. And, you know, I've had, like, medical history where doctors have said that it will take a while for me to fall pregnant and I shouldn't expect it to happen straight away. So, you know, I just kind of assumed that it would take, um, you know, over a year. I, like, especially signed up for health insurance there through my company that covered IVF. I was, like, planning for trying for a year, going through IVF. Like, you know, I just kind of assumed that I would go through, that that would be my journey. Despite mm. all of its great medical advice, the only advice that was correct was mine. <laughs> and then and it, it happened, as I said, in the time frame I said. And we didn't, we didn't have one. We ended up with two. So I just proved them all wrong. You exceeded expectations, you know? <laughs> so literally, I think we um, we started, I mean, I wouldn't even say trying. You know, I wasn't like tracking dates or anything. We just kind of stopped using protection because we were like, okay, if we did happen to fall pregnant now, it would be fine. Um, and, yeah, like I think we started trying and two weeks later, the day Nathan was about to fly to Australia to do a visa run, something came over me that said you should take a pregnancy test and we happened to have one in the cupboard so just out of pure like coincidence I decided to take a pregnancy test and boom it was positive and that night Nathan was on a plane to Australia. Oh my gosh when you did find out that you were pregnant at that point did you think okay like what was your game plan in your head family are going to come over as soon as uh, you know I give birth and what what did that look like for you? Like pretty much that, you know, the, um, you know, the minute I found out it was like, all right, my parents will be here for the birth. Um, we'll give birth in America because I had amazing health insurance. That was always, that was kind of one of the key reasons originally I didn't think we'd do it in America because I just heard awful things about like the system over there. But, um, you know, when you have the right level of health insurance, it's actually a wonderful place to like see doctors and give birth. Um, And, you know, I just decided to, you know, to stay there. It made sense. I had a great job, great benefits, great health insurance. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like amazing maternity leave that my company gave. Um, So I said, like, we'll stay. My parents will come over. We'll kind of play by ear, you know. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go with the baby, which is what we were thinking at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Pregnancy test doesn't tell you how many you got in there. Um, It's one of the many faults of pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that was my, that was my goal. And, you know, I'm like a very planned, organized, have to be in control of everything type person. So I was going to give birth. My parents were going to be here. We were all going to go to the Bahamas for a holiday. And that was going to be the life. Yeah. And so at what point, um, I'll throw it to you, Nate, when did you find out that you were having twins? It was 
So the reason why, and for context, these conversations are happening in September 2019. Um, so I, that's why I went back to do a visa run because I, I got a new job. And so when I started that new job, I came back about a, a month later and I was in my first week and I was going to an orientation um, down on the peninsula in San Francisco. And that went to, I, I couldn't go to the like first scan that she was having. Um, I was like, I was, it's fine. It's just the, the first scan yeah. to check the, the pregnancy's viable. <laughs> you don't need to be there. You're not going to see anything. Yeah. So then I'm, so I go on the bath and whatnot and I get a phone call and you know, it's like, so how, how did it go? And, and she goes, Oh yeah, it went, it went well. I went, oh, yeah. So what did, what did, what did they say? What did the sonographer tell you? And, and she said, well, she was, you know, she was looking around and she was taking measurements and she was going for a while staring at the screen. And, and then I asked, so is there a heartbeat? And she said, yes, there's one heartbeat and there's a second heartbeat. We're having twins. And so I was so nervous. <laughs> yes, you would be. <laughs> so my, so my, my honestly, my honest first reaction yeah. in my head was it was an oh fuck. It's an oh fuck yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> because I had I had thought of everything in terms of having one baby mm-hmm. and where we were gonna live and you know what money we needed to pay for whatever and all, all these things. Everything was done in the context of having one baby. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was a strange day that, so I went to the orientation and I sat in classes listening to, you know, how to start my new job and everything about the company, but it was all on, on the backdrop of, you just found out today that you're having twins. But by the end of the day, I was very, very happy about it. Um, like it's, it was very exciting. Like it's, it's very different. I like different. You know, that's, you asked like, why did we go to the States and said, because it's, it's a bit different, it's a bit left of center, you know, it's not crazy wild, but it's, it's an experience that not actually almost no one that I know has gone and done. And having twins is even more of the same, you know, like, you know, very, very few people who who've had twins. Um, and so, yeah, by the end of it, I just thought it was, it was just, it made, it was perfect for me. And, for us. and he said to me, thank goodness we're not having triplets. Yeah, thank God we're having triplets. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a silver lining with all of this stuff. <laughs> wow. And Nat, how did you how did you feel when you found out? I was I was like really excited when I found out. Like I was shocked. Mm. I was nervous, but I was it was like over I was overwhelmed by like just excitement. Um you know, like I didn't, I didn't actually know much about twins. I didn't know like the fraternal versus identical. I mean, obviously I've heard of identical twins, but I didn't know like what actually made identical twins and how like, you know, you have to ask questions like, are they in the same sack or different sacks and one placenta, two placentas. Like I didn't know, I didn't know any of that. The first question I asked the sonographer is are they Siamese twins? Like that's all I knew. <laughs> and she just looks at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that's an odd question to ask. For your... <laughs> what's the sensation in your belly? Um, Do you want me to answer this one? I don't know. I've got a 
<laughs> so it's kind of weird because you can feel like kicks happening, at, like mm. when they're kicking at the same time, you can kind of feel kicks happening in completely different places. Yeah. I mean, it, it was only really thanks to the like plentiful ultrasounds I had that I knew where baby A was and where baby B was. Cause you kind of think like, well, one's on the left, one's on the right, but it's not quite like that. It's like, one's like, one could be down, the other could be on top. Like most of the time they were actually kind of diagonal, but I always knew that like baby A was more like obviously towards the bottom and more towards the left. And baby B was like more towards the top, towards the right. Look, sometimes I didn't necessarily know which one kicked. Um, but like, I always knew baby B was like going wild in the womb. You know, I could always feel the movement up there. And then whenever we watched them on the ultrasounds, because towards the end, I was having like three appointments a week, like three, three, like because of antenatal testing and ultrasounds, like I was high risk. Um, The boys were like not growing so well at around the 27 week mark. So I was like, in for checkups all the time. So I always saw them and I always like could watch the heartbeat, you know, Um, it it is, I mean, I I don't know any different. Like I've never had just one baby. So for me, I just kind of assumed that what I felt was the same as everyone else. That's so crazy. So I'm just thinking about your checkups and then obviously COVID and then restrictions and all of that. So at what point during this pregnancy journey, did things start getting a little bit more hairy in the States? Well, it was around the 27-week mark that I went in for the scan. Like it was one of my standard ultrasounds and that was the ultrasound that um, the babies, they basically identified like intrauterine growth disorder, like they weren't growing properly. Um, so that's that Friday I left the, I left the office I went to the hospital for that scan and I was told I need to come three times a week. I never went back to the office after that Friday. I didn't know at the time that that was going to be my last day in the office. Like I haven't been back since. So that weekend, I think, or that Monday, maybe like Nathan's company had said like, you know, there are growing number of cases, like everyone should work from home for the next few weeks and we'll kind of monitor it. My company was still in the following week, but because of Nathan's company's advice and I was pregnant and now the boys weren't growing, I decided to stay at home. Um, And then the following week, my company sent everyone home. And that's kind of when things started to get a little bit like serious and cases started to slowly rise. Um, That was the first week of March, by the way. And then what happened? Like from then, from March onwards, so like you kind of—I'll never forget. Like the yeah. first case in the U, in the US, or the first case in the Bay Area, was when you know we started to feel a little bit nervous, and like people in the office were all—we were all sanitizing our hands, and you know, a guy in my team got really sick, and he stayed at home, and I was like teasing him, "You've got COVID, you've got COVID," but you know, of course, he didn't have COVID. Anyway. Two months later, he gets an antibodies test. Turns out he had COVID. Um, oh, so thank, God, thank goodness he stayed at home. Oh. Um, and I was like, you know, pretty like 26 weeks pregnant at the time. Um, he sat next to you. He sat next to me. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I would say like as soon as, so the following week, 
after my company told us to stay at home, I think the following few days, the the Bay Area, like all the counties in the Bay Area announced what they called shelter in place. So they never really used the term like lockdown as much. It was all shelter in place, meaning stay at home unless you need to like leave for whatever reasons. But no one's policing anything, you know. They're not giving out fines. They might threaten, but there's no policing going on, you know. The roads were quiet. I, th- I do believe that at the beginning people, at least in our area, were pretty serious about it. Like we were all staying at home. I had a baby shower I organised like that weekend, which we had to cancel obviously. But at the beginning I do recall people taking it quite seriously. San Francisco and Northern California specifically responded what I would say appropriately than when compared to the rest of the country, like the rest of the country really didn't respond at all and still hasn't responded. So they just, they just done whatever they've done. Um, you've had all, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of, of cases in the States and, you know, a million people have, have, have died. Um, but Northern California was very quick. Um, around, you know, shelter in place, locking down that whole area. I mean, those reasons why you could leave your house or apartment were exa- are exactly the same reasons they give here when you're in lockdown and they're different. Um, but, yeah, obviously, but no one's policing, so people were just kind of doing whatever they wanted. So, like, it, it just it got it got worse and worse in terms of cases, as, as you would expect. But I don't know, at that, from that point on, we were just in the apartment, working from the apartment and doing whatever it is that you do in your day-to-day. I actually only really felt, started to feel unsafe there and like things were far more risky after the boys were born. Like while I was pregnant and kind of leading up to that, even while I was in hospital, I wasn't really nervous being there. Um, It was only, like at that time, it was kind of rare even to be tested, you know, like not everyone could get tested and they had limited tests. And I had a test really early on because I was going in for a C-section. So they needed to test me. And it was, I was like the first out of any of my friends that I knew of to be tested. Um, I mean, honestly, the, in an ironic turn of events, COVID, COVID worked out better for Nat's pregnancy than if there was no COVID, right? Like she made it to 38 weeks on the dot, which was what, you know, obviously we, there was scheduled a C-section, but she made it for 38 weeks, which was also another prediction that I had made earlier on. Um, but that wouldn't have happened if she had to continue going into the office and commuting to and from work and going to meetings and not drinking enough water yep. and not, not, eating not eating as much as she should have been. So all of those any of the like complications or challenges that she had leading up to when she had to work from home, mostly all disappeared as soon as she started working from home because everything that she needed was just within five steps of her. So yeah, in, to that, to that end, it actually was worked out better. Yeah. That was huge. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're a smaller person as well so, with twins. Like God. So what month were the boys born? So born in May, May 2020. May 2020. So from then, so at what point did you realize that your plans to have your parents come and stay with you and go to the Bahamas and be fabulous? (laughs) (laughs) At what point did you realize that that was just not going to happen? 
Uh, it was probably around the same time, like yeah. maybe a couple of weeks after we started like mm-hmm. staying at home. Originally we thought this stay at home thing is just a few weeks, like people will get over it and that's that. And, you know, I think around this, a similar time, the government, you know, told all the citizens to come home, close the borders, no one can leave. Um, and, you know, I think that was just like, just so devastating for um, for me and for us, and everything changed so quickly and so frequently. So yeah, I don't I don't feel like it was a you know a moment where you're like okay now there's definitely there's not going to be any visits. We're not going to do any of the things we thought we were going to do. You know, people, like governments were just guessing as to how to what decisions to make. And then you're also talking about we're looking at the U.S. government. We're also looking at the Australian government. And, you know, there's two, two very different situations. So we went from, so my mom was also going to stay with us for three months. So we went from both my parents were going to be there at birth. My mom was going to live with us for three months to help first time parents don't know what we're doing um, to like, we're about to have twins with no support. Mm. So you have the twins and you're there in lockdown essentially, and and you continue to stay in lockdown. How the hell did you guys manage to like not turn into complete basket cases? Because that would I can't even imagine. I mean, I I reflect back on both times in which I've given birth, and I've been so fortunate to have. You know, I moved into my parents' beach house. I had my parents there, like constantly at my beck and call, supporting me both times. One, you know, and I can't. I mean, I, I understand. I'm, I was very privileged to have that, but but not even to have your family in the same country. Like, I, I can't even imagine. So, what did that look like for you guys in the early days of having the twins? Like, where was your mindset at? What were you talk me through it? Well, firstly, I'll correct you. I did turn into a basket case. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right, honey. We all do. <laughs> Honestly, like, um, we we're both really nervous. Uh, we both um, just knew we we kind of had to step up and do what we needed to do. And uh, I'll never forget on the way to the hospital, like Nathan wrote me a beautiful card. And one of the things he said was like, it's all about attitude. And, you know, it's just all about your attitude. Um, and he really like gave me the, like the confidence, like knowing I had him with me to support me. Like I just knew we would be able to do it. So, you know, we came home from the hospital with these two babies. It's kind of like, what now? And Nathan like whipped us into a routine that he happened to pick up from the hospital. Like the nurses at the hospital was so amazing. They like taught him how to diaper, like put us on a feeding routine, put me on a pumping routine. And we just kind of like maintained this like strict schedule. And um, like Nathan was up with me every night, every feeding, every two, three hours. Like he was one of the baby's moms. Like I, Toby, yeah. my one son, I genuinely think he thinks Nathan's his mom. <laughs> So cute. <laughs> Jesus. So like, Nate, for you then, I guess, you know, father of the family sitting there going, I need to just figure out a, the best way to structure this and support my family unit going forward and knowing that we're not going to necessarily have the help that we, you know, had hoped for. What was going through your head and how did you sort of deal with that? I don't know. I, I've just grown up very, very independent. And having to do a lot for myself all the time from a very young age. 
So I don't think I really thought too much about it at all. I just knew that that's what it was and I had nine months to get okay with that that's what it was going to be. Sounds like you had an amazing backbone to all of this, Nat, in having Nate as such a, like, as you said, structured, disciplined kind of person. Because I know, I mean, even as the the mom, right, like you've given birth, like your head's everywhere. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I had prenatal depression. I didn't have postnatal, but I, I think there was probably an element of postnatal, to be honest. I was just so, you're overwhelmed. You're dealing with your own stuff. You're recovering physically. It's almost like you, it's great to have that person there to provide that level of structure. Um, how did you find it? I mean, I mean, I mean, giving birth, not having your family around, was there times where, you know, I'm sure multiple times where you're just like, this is so unfair. <laughs> like, all I want to do is have my parents there. And did you have moments of just complete breakdowns or anything like that where you're just like, I'm so overwhelmed by my feelings right now? Yeah, many, many times. To be honest, I think like the first like six to eight weeks, I was just so like overwhelmed with like, you know, joy and love and learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just all very exciting. And also Mm -hmm. I'm usually like a really positive person. And I kept like hoping that things would just calm down. And, you know, Mm -hmm. within like a couple months, my parents would be here. And then I think like when the boys were around maybe like 10 to 12 weeks, maybe yeah, around the three month mark, I think it became a lot more obvious to me that like the situation wasn't calming down. It was like summer in the US, you know, it's like July, August, like people are now like, not. Nah, it's summer. We're going traveling. We're going out. Um, cases, case numbers were growing. Um, you know, Australia borders were so strict. And I think like around that time, they basically, you know, were like, we're not opening borders until July, 2021, absolute earliest, where it kind of really like, I really lost any hope that they would be able to see us. And I really started struggling then. Like I would have, um, you know, breakdowns. Um, I was suffering from insomnia. So, and I've never suffered from insomnia before. Like this is also around the time, by the way, when the boys started sleeping through the night. So we had two babies, like actually in all fairness, they probably only started sleeping through the night around the four to five month mark, but we had two babies sleeping through the night and mom was away crying because I couldn't get back to sleep. Nathan was awake, bopping me up and down, trying to help me get back to sleep. Like he's just done months trying to pop babies, getting babies back to sleep at night. Finally, they're sleeping through. And then I'm the one like struggling, waking up at night. I had so much anxiety going through my head around like, right, how can I be with our family like ASAP? I need to get their documents together. I need to get their birth certificate and their passports. I need to apply for Australian citizenship and Australian passports. And then we have to we have to get a job and we have to get flights. And all this every single night was just going through my head over and over again because, you know, like I like to be in control. I like to be organized and planned, but I was just so overwhelmed with the amount of things that needed to get done in order for us to be in a place where we could come home and bring the boys home safely that I just like, you know, I almost couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore. Mm, I hear you. I like, I feel stressed listening, just listening to you. So like, you know, and all of the to-do lists. So in that case, Nate, like, I mean, seeing your partner in a pretty tough, you know, going through a really tough time, um, what, like, 
how did you feel you could best support her? And it sounds like you did greatly. And the reason why I mentioned this is that, you know, there's other people potentially listening who are going through their own turmoil. I mean, we all have our shit, right? So I guess as a partner, what did you feel like was sort of a good way in which, you know, you were able to provide that support? Does anything sort of come to mind? I think there's like a misunderstanding that like men are only there to support the woman who is the mother who looks after the babies. And I think, you, you know, when you're the father, you can play just as much of a role as, as the mother does. So then that takes you down a path of, well, what could, what more could I be doing to help alleviate how she's feeling or take more of the load or talk about things more? You know, so I don't, sometimes it's just good to talk, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't really get anywhere. It doesn't like get you to an end result. Like it's not like talking was going to get us out of being in lockdown, being in an apartment with no support, but it's mm-hmm. just nice. It's just nice to make them feel like you understand their pain. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, being, as you said, being in lockdown, being with twins, being in the headspace of, okay, well, potentially we want to either get back to Australia or try and get our parents here or whatever it is. Um, I'm assuming there would have been pressure cooker situations where you're kind of like, actually, now I'm bloody sick of you too. <laughs> it's like, it's like, ah. Oh, like, I actually never felt that. No, is that I wrong? I never felt that once. Good on you because, I, I mean, God, I mean, you just think living in such a confined space and all of that, you you guys never sort of had, you know, moments of tension or anything like not that? Not really. Not, not like what you're describing, but I, I would yeah. expect that that would be a more of a normal situation. We never really got frustrated at each other. Like I think we just try to, you know, work together. Like Nathan and I mm. work really well under pressure. So at what point did you decide, okay, we're going to come back to Oz? So you, you had all these things going on in your head. I've got to get closer to my family. I've got to figure this out. I know that you had a number of flights or one flight that was cancelled on you. Talk me through that journey and getting back to uh, Melbourne. Over time, throughout like the rest of 2020, like the situation in the US just became worse and worse. Um, you had riots, you had like political protests, um, wildfires, wildfires. It was honestly like just a bit of a shit show. And as the situation got worse and worse, like come I think like November, December, January, then the COVID cases were through the roof. You know, at that point I was really, really quite scared being there, you know, to the point where it's like one night I saw an ambulance come and get a guy and he had like a mask on, an oxygen mask on his face. And I was like, I bet you he's got COVID and he needs to go to the hospital. And, you know, I wasn't allowing my my friends to see the boys, touch the boys, like maybe a socially distanced walk at best. Towards November, December, we just said, we're not seeing anyone. We stopped going to the supermarket. We had like home delivery basically. And we just did nothing other than go for a walk throughout the day. And it was honestly just no way to live. And the fact that we were lucky enough to have Australian citizenship um, and were able to, you know, had the opportunity to come home. It was everything just kind of worked out that we were able to secure, um, secure, you know, seats on a flight and were able to kind of make our way home. And that's what we did. Well, when, so you, did, when you tried to, when we tried, when we booked the flight, there was, remember, there was a whole, the whole, oh, yeah, of you crying every single day. So, because of the flight cap. And so, saying that we were not going to get on the flight or we wouldn't know until at the airport. And, and even oh, at the airport, they could tell us that we weren't going to get on the flight, even after we'd 
handed in the car keys, the house keys, and quit our job. Wow. It's so funny how you just put all, you just block all this from your memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all this trauma. So basically, um, we were booked on a United flight, a direct flight, and mm-hmm. the government halved their caps a week before. So I called the airline, and the airline basically said to us, Your flight's overbooked, you're going to get bumped, and the next available mm-hmm. flight is two months later. So, and this, at this point, I've like got this job, like, you know, we, we're moving home. Home, we're giving up our lease, selling a car, like Nathan said. I was like, I'm seeing my family in a few weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, literally every single day I was on the phone to the consulate in tears, calling the airline in tears, writing to any single MP who maybe cared to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the most stressful week of my life. Mm, so had you already, was your lease going to be up or had you kind of been able to extend it to accommodate yeah, well, so I I I had cancelled the well, cancelled yeah cancelled the lease, and mm-hmm. then days later I had to I had to ask the the landlords of the mm-hmm. apartment complex to you know essentially just reinstate you know mm-hmm. the, the lease again or forget that kind of remove my submission to to hand in the keys. Jesus, uh, but then I couldn't tell him how, how long he was, be <gasps> there. So he was oh. a huge favour. It's just like they were just they're just there's just a lot of really lovely, friendly, good people um in in our lives over there. And like like I'm I'm not even talking about a friend here, I'm talking about the guy who was mm. the manager of the the leasing office, you know. Mm. He he was awesome and he said that he would speak to the corporate office, who then said that we could stay in on a basically a month by month basis until um at least in the short term. Mm. So we kind of figured things out and they wouldn't put the place up up on their their website for mm. um to 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 lease imagine That's being at the airport you've like given up your car your lease Honestly. you've got two babies you've got two you babies you're not gonna you're not on the flight and no health insurance and no health insurance because you've quit your jobs like that oh. was the risk we we basically took they told us that there's a chance we could find out at the airport that we wouldn't get on the flight like what do you do we were two of the 14 people that were allowed to get on oh. or 15 whatever the small number was to get on that flight I flew a lot for work and we traveled a lot in the four years we were there. So we actually had the highest status at United and we had two babies, but we had the cheapest tickets that we could have purchased. But that was the, the, because we had the other two, that was, oh, and because Nat cried every single day to the special (laughs) team at United, that was, that was deciding who got to fly and who didn't. Um, that was enough to, to get us over the line to be on the flight. There's actually, there was a specialized team that worked for United Airlines dedicated to like helping the, they were lovely, helping the Australians like find flights. And I spoke to like, I don't know, obviously the manager or something. Mm-hmm. And I cried like every day. And she felt so bad for me that she was kind of like, you know, we're going to get you on this flight. Like, you know, don't worry, we'll make it work. Once we checked in and once we were on that plane and we left, it was like the biggest sense of relief. Just, oh, I actually cannot. So you did quarantine, was it in Sydney? Correct. Yeah. So what was that like with twins in a little room? How was that? I'm going to disappoint you again, but it was, it was no different to our lives in San Francisco. We were, we were living, we went from a two-bedroom apartment 
with two bathrooms in Marin County uh, to a two-bedroom apartment with two bathrooms in Darling Harbour. We had better views. Except this time we had better views and they had the food delivered to us three times a day. It was quite nice. We didn't have to worry about cooking. You know, like we didn't have to get the boys in the stroller to go for a walk. Like, because we weren't allowed to. It was actually fine. Honestly, people originally. If we'd ended up in a hotel room, it would have been awful. Yeah. But because we had babies, they gave us an apartment. So that was, it it actually was, it was fine. Like we didn't have half of the things we actually needed to take care of babies like that you would have in your house but it actually wasn't like you didn't have it wasn't like cabin fever because we weren't in a 30 square meter room with four people and no balcony i just think we were so relieved to be back in australia that you know it was like short-term um painful gain you know the minute we touched down and got off the plane at sydney airport like I just felt safe again, you know, like Mm. strangers were coming up close to the babies and I didn't have to worry about them having COVID, you know, like they were allowed to touch them and hold, like hold their hand and, you know, and then just being in Sydney, I just felt so, so great to be home after all Mm. that stress. I was like, we finally made it. So what was it like when you first saw your family at Melbourne airport? Was it like super emotional or how was that? I was overwhelmed with emotion. Like even when I think about it now, I get emotional thinking about it because it brings back like just those memories of like just being so desperate to see my family and introduce them to the boys. And then, yeah, when we landed in Melbourne, walking up to my family, my mum was in tears, my brother was in tears, my dad was in tears. And then because I was crying so much, poor Toby started crying. (laughs) We're all crying. I wasn't crying. Nathan wasn't crying. <laughs> oh my god, that's so sweet. The little Baba got emotional too. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what they pick up, isn't it? Yeah. That's crazy. So what do you think, like if we come full circle, like what an experience and it's so fantastic that you guys are now in Melbourne and sort of settled back in and, you know, I guess just reflecting on on that time, like what do you think it's taught you as parents, as a couple, like what comes to mind? Just looking back at that and thinking what Nathan and I achieved, like help, like looking after two beautiful baby boys for the first nine months of their life with no help while working full-time in a foreign country, I'm like, we can do anything, you know? Um, So it just gave me like a lot of confidence and a lot of pride, even though at points throughout the journey, like I kind of lost hope, you know, it's just, it, it's taught me that I'm quite good at like maintaining positivity and looking at the positive side of things. Mm. Makes you realize how strong you are, I guess, as, as a couple and as people. Like Nate, what do you reckon when you think back on that journey, like what are sort of the lessons that come out of it for you? I think Nat said at the beginning that it's all about attitude. And that's it. Like if you go in, if you go in and, and maintain. And I had I had a little note taped to my bedside table that said it's all about attitude. So every morning that's the first thing that I look at. And it is. Like it's all about it's all about how you perceive the situation that you're in and, and it can be hard, but you get to decide that. The days were really long. So every day was really long. Uh, but if you feel like you want to have a good or a great experience, 
then you can find that great experience even if you're in the shit. Mm. Um, and that's that's really important um, because otherwise then you just have nine months of of rubbish and you also miss nine months of a lot of pretty cool stuff with with your with your babies and then that's it if you're not going to have any more babies well then that that time and experience is gone so yeah it's all about attitude it's so true i love that well guys thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story i'm just like so inspired by your strength as a couple as well um getting through what you've gone through and having your two beautiful boys thanks for chatting it was wonderful Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. Want to be part of the Parenthood community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Parenthood Pod. Now I'll let you get back to the organized chaos. Until next time. Oh God, this is going to be, I'm like, Nate, Nat, God, I'm going to be careful. Did you guys plan that or?